Arr! It was a Pirates theme at VBS this week, and we're filming this ask last week, When by the time you see this, uh, on the set of VBS at Cornerstone Church. What an awesome week. At least I think, it's not over yet. But I'm trusting God that it's gonna be awesome. But you're here to watch Ask, and so let's do that. Oh, great question. How did the early church know when the Bible was finished? A lot of people ask that one, so stay tuned. All right, let's get to it on Ask. I'm Pastor Jamie at Cornerstone. You can ask your questions if you just go to our website, cornerstonebv.org. You should know that by now, but if not, if you're new to this program, we want to have your questions. You just go to the media page, it drops down, you hit ask, you submit your question. You don't have to submit your name. Um, If you have the question, other people do too. We need your questions, so let's get to it. Don't say you'll do it later. Do it right now. All right? Awesome. Okay, so as I mentioned in the opening, a great question. How did the early church know when they were done writing the Bible? See, the first thing you got to make sure you understand is that the Bible wasn't written like, we got to write a Bible, right? And they sat down and wrote it. It was a collection of of the uh, first century church writings that that were considered scripture, right? Um, And so when when you really say, well, the Bible was more put together of writings that already existed. So they decided what was scripture and what wasn't. And that was in the fourth century where the, the, the church finally said, we need to do this. And there's, probably, there's a lot of reasons, a couple of big reasons why they did that. First was um, they, were, they really truly believed that the imminence of Christ's return. And so they didn't really think there was a necessity for this until you got to about the fourth century, you realized, wow, crisis, Jesus' return is gonna be more delayed than we thought. And so we gotta make sure as time goes by that we preserve the scriptures and we make sure that for future generations, however many there are, we have the right stuff for them. Um, and also it became very necessary to teach using something in public worship gatherings, just like we do today. And, and so uh, for, the, for other reasons as well. So all they really did, that was a process of collecting what already existed. Okay, there was nothing in the Bible that was written, and despite what some critics say, they're wrong, there's no proof of it, that that they were all written in the first century, okay? Um, And so, uh, let me just give you the criteria. This is for the New Testament, of course, Old Testament is a whole different thing, but for the New Testament, um, there's there's four major criteria that that they used. They didn't just say, well, it's inspired. Well, it was, but that, you know, how do you know? And so their criteria were, first, it, ha- it was called apostolic, uh, just basically it was written by the apostles, all right? So uh, it had to either be written by an apostle or a direct link. So not all the New Testament is written by apostles, but they were written with some- by someone that was a link to an apostle, okay? Second, antiquity. So meaning it had to, despite they were collecting and kind of making sure that they had the closed, what we call canon, which just means measurement, it measured up um, by the fourth century, they didn't take anything that was not written in the first century when the apostles were, were still around um, to validate that what was written was correct because that was handed down directly from Christ to the apostles to the church. And so uh, there are some really good writings even from a few centuries later that are great benefit to the church that you can even read today, but none of them were made the cut for the Bible because they weren't written in the first century, okay? Third is orthodoxy. This just means that it has to agree with what was the the apostles' teaching handed down from Jesus. Um, And so that's why it was very important that it comes from antiquity because the apostles were around. And so as Paul's letters circulated, Peter references Paul's letters. He'd read them. If there was something violating what Jesus had taught the apostles, right, then Peter could have said something. But of course, he validated. This is scripture. So orthodoxy and what was written had to be validated um, and couldn't be something out of left field, which is why a lot of the other 
books that people say, why wasn't that included? They include lots of elements that are not, uh, you know, validated by other writings from the apostles. And so they were not put in the Bible. And lastly is usage, which would be the fourth one. This wouldn't be the only one, but it's important. They were, these were the letters before they said, all right, this is our Bible, this is the New Testament canon, that these were the things that were already taught and used and read at public worship gatherings. Um, they were circulating very early. We have lots of editions, copies of our early New Testament uh, transcripts all over the place. Um, so they were circulated and they were also quoted by sort of that next generation we call the church fathers. They weren't the apostles, they were that next group um, that kind of led the church after the apostles died. And they, uh, and, and so you kind of can see a lot of those early writings, they were quoting and if, and, and so if it had a, a heavy, heavy usage by the early church, it was considered for strong, uh, a strong possibility for the canon, the Bible. But of course it had to have those other things too, from antiquity, a link to an apostle, and orthodoxy, right? So, um, you know, a good question is that you didn't ask, that you can mull over, I'm not gonna answer, but what if they found something today, they uncovered like they did not too long ago, the Dead Sea Scrolls? What if they found a manuscript that was clearly written in the first century, linked to an apostle, and still was orthodoxy, so it doesn't violate anything else in scripture, could you add it to the Bible? Or should the canon be completely closed? Great question, mull it over. And if you really want me to answer it, you gotta ask it. All right, uh, it says, I'm gonna kinda summarize this one, because this one's a little bit quicker, but it says, many times in the gospel, gospels, I should say, Jesus instructs witnesses not to speak of his miracles. Why is basically the, the cause you know, is the question. So, so you gotta understand, there are times, if you read the gospels, where Jesus uh, says to tell someone. So he doesn't always say that, okay? And uh, the question also said, so how can we have it today? He didn't mean don't ever tell it, right? He was talking about that time and place because you could even see as, as certain miracles spread that like, for instance, the raising of Lazarus, John tells us that literally he couldn't even go out in the open anymore. So many people were looking and itching to get to Jesus and Jesus couldn't go into public areas sometimes. He had to go to secluded areas because he became so popular. And that hindered, in some, some cases, his ministry. He didn't want that to completely take over. He also didn't want them to make him king. Like a lot of, there were some that were like, like force him to be king. It wasn't the right time, right? Like he said to his mother when she wanted them to change the water, and this is not my, into wine, this is not my time yet. And so it was all for Jesus in the moment about the purpose and the timing of everything. But the apostles were there, remembered it, perhaps wrote it down, right? And later on, after he had fulfilled his mission, when those things weren't, the timing wasn't an issue, it was absolutely right for them to still, to, to proclaim that. Uh, to sort of prove what who Jesus was. So um, that hopefully answers that one. And um, lastly, uh, what is Cornerstone's church view on who can participate in the Lord's Supper? Do we practice a closed communion? Should a Cornerstone member partake in the Lord's Supper if visiting another church? Awesome, awesome question. Our elders are actually beginning a study on the Lord's Supper, just looking at some of the different nuances and beliefs that different denominations have, making sure that we really are cemented on what we believe. I mean, I think we believe all the major you know, orthodoxy teaching of the Lord's Supper, but there's some other elements of that so uh, that, that you need to kind of square away sometimes. Um, so we always go with the scriptures, at least we believe is the best way the scriptures teach, and that is we are to remember Christ, we're to do it regularly by taking bread and, and the cup and to remember the body given for us and the blood shed for us. Um, we're, we're also uh, called 
to, to, do, to remember uh, him, but also examine our own hearts before we take it. So we, we, we do that here. Um, but it's very clear that it's a command for Christians. And so it is closed in that sense, not just members of Cornerstone Church, but anyone who says Christ is Lord and Savior. I believe that, and I'm in good standing with that. I don't have sin that I haven't repented of, right? Then any Christian who is uh, at our church, whether a member or not, is invited to participate. If you're not a Christian, we don't tell you to leave the room or kick you out. We just say, hey, this isn't for you because you don't believe this yet, so let it pass you by. That's how we do it here. Other denominations and churches will do it in other different ways. Um, and so if you're here, whether you're a member or not, if you're a Christian in good standing, take it. Absolutely. You're part of the body of Christ. Now, if you're at a different church, if you're from Cornerstone, should you take it? You can. Um, but you want to obviously be aware of what that church believes, right? Because there's some some teachings that we really do reject. And one of them is the Roman Catholic teaching, and that is the actual body and blood of Jesus, that the priest transforms it, and you, you actually consume, you're kind of consuming, and there's this idea and element of an ongoing sacrifice from Christ. We don't believe that biblically, and so therefore, use your own good conscience. I've known some people who have taken it um, in a Catholic church, even if they're not Catholic, and just said, well, I don't believe that, I'm just gonna kind of believe it the way I do. And, you know, but you just want to be careful in those types of situations. But if you're another like-minded church that believes the same thing we do, you should definitely take it if you're there. Okay? Awesome questions. We'll see you next week in another edition of Ask. Love you guys. God bless.